Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me, please, to the Gospel Record of Luke. The Gospel Record of Luke and chapter number 2. The Gospel Record of Luke and chapter number 2. We're continuing with our series, our long series of the Gospel Record of Luke, and we're still at the beginning. And as we've been exploring and walking through this book of the, of uh, the gospel record of Luke, we're beginning to see the forerunners, the events that are preparing the way for the Lord Jesus Christ. That we started with an old couple of Zacharias and Elizabeth who were 80 years old. And as Zacharias was doing his, fulfilling his duties inside of the temple, an angel popped up when he thought he was all by himself, scared him to death. He turned around and the angel gave to him and said, congratulations, you're going to have a son you've been praying for for such a long time. Well, Zacharias knew that him and his wife were 80 and said, how do these things be? The angel wasn't used to being questioned. So he said, all right, because you don't believe me, you're going to be not be able to speak until your baby is born. Congratulations. And so he wasn't able to speak. He went out and um, tried to speak to the, to the rest of the crowd and they, they perceived he saw something, but they couldn't communicate. Well, he went home to his wife and guess what? She become expectant. And it was a great measure of grace because can you imagine an 80 year old woman now trying to carry the child and the back pains and everything that goes along with it? But it was a great miracle. People were amazed that an 80-year-old couple are now expected with a child. Well, this is all preparing the way because six months later, a 15-year-old girl was told, you're going to have a baby. And this baby is going to be the Lord and Savior. And Mary asked the question, how can these things be? Because she understood there was no man involved. How does this work? And the angel explained that this is a miracle. And to prove that God was able to do the miracle, you go visit your cousin Elizabeth, who's 80 years old, who now has expected with a child. Wow. And so she went, and sure enough, Elizabeth was expected. And so she had the encouragement that God was doing something. And she stayed there for a matter of three months expect it. And then she went back. Of course, the gospel record of Matthew explains that story because now she has to go explain to her her to her future husband who she's about to be married to that, um, guess what? I'm expectant and God did this. Could you imagine if you were a guy and your, your fiance came to you and said, Hey, guess what? I'm going to have a baby. And wouldn't you have some questions? Wouldn't you kind of want an explanation? And she had to explain that God did this. And that was kind of hard to believe. And he had to think upon those things. And I'm thankful he didn't act uh, rashly or react emotionally. But he thought of those things. And an angel came and told him, guess what? These things are true. And that it's fine. Go ahead and take her as your wife. And so as we went on, we saw in the gospel record of Luke chapter number two, that Jesus Christ, he's now to be born. And remember that they were in a village, a small backwater village in the northern part of this area. 
And God had promised that the child was going to be born in Bethlehem, which was two countries to the south that they had the uh, Galilee area, the Samaria area, and the Judea area. And God had said in Micah chapter number five that Jesus was going to be born in Bethlehem. So how did God arrange for a lady who's nine months pregnant who does not want to travel? By the way, ladies, when you're nine months uh, pregnant, you weren't looking forward to traveling that much either. I mean, where do we go? I have everything prepared here. And so how did God arrange it? He arranged for a worldwide tax for the Roman emperor, Octavius Caesar, to declare a worldwide tax. And in order to collect the proper taxes, there had to be a census. So everybody had to go back to their ancestral home. And so here's Mary and Joseph, by the way, not an airplane, not a car, but a mule. Nine months expected, riding up and down the roads making it all the way down to this little backwater town of Bethlehem. And because of this tax, the inn was full. And we explained where they had to stay. They had to stay in a manger, a little cave. And remember that it was all the animals in the, in the cave. And remember what animals do. And the smells. And everything that was there. It wasn't a pleasant time for Mary. The traveling Now not a hotel room and they have to stay in the barn with the animals. And we explained and just used our divine imagination of having the duck quacking beside you. And how that probably be not, probably be a good irritant. And we explained all of this. And yet here's the baby to be born. And then God didn't want the child to be born without being announced. So a choir of angels appeared to some shepherds. And they told them their child is born. And they were excited about it. Well the shepherds said well let's go see these things. And so as Mary who's traveled all this time. Who's now in a manger. Had had give birth in the middle of this very sanitary place. Tired, worn out. And all these smelly shepherds want to come and see the baby in the middle of the night when she wants to rest. Again, think about it from Mary's perspective, adding the context to it. And so, what an amazing thing. Now remember, the gospel record of Luke is written by Dr. Luke, who's writing it probably about 30 years after the fact. Uh, 30, 40 years after the fact. And he has done a research project and he's interviewed people. And over and over in the gospel record of Luke, when it concerns Mary, you'll see a phrase that Mary pondered these things in her heart. She hid these things in her heart. Why is, she, why is that important? Because later on, Dr. Luke is saying, tell me about when Jesus was born. Oh, let me tell you about when Jesus was born. And she was there. She remembered. She hid those things. And she was able to recall the events. And he's writing it down. And there was enough people to corroborate the evidence, the stories that went on. And so this is something that was proven, something that was researched, something that was validated. And now the baby is born. What happens now? Well, Mary and Joseph are hoping to have just a quiet time of just obeying the law. Let's pick it up and see what happens in the gospel record of Luke chapter number 2. The gospel record of Luke chapter 2. And notice with me starting at verse 21. The gospel record of Luke chapter 2 and verse 21. 
And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that open up the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then he took him up in his arms and blessed the Lord and said, Lord, now lettest thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For my eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all the people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simon blessed him and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against it. Yea, a sword shall pierce through my own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanel, the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow about fourscore and forty years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in that instant gave thanks and likewise unto the Lord and spake of him unto all that looked for the redemption in Jerusalem. And when they had performed all the things according to the law of the Lord, they returned unto Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And if you're in the harvest of marking things in your Bible, mark a phrase that we find in the gospel record of Luke in chapter number two. The gospel record of Luke in chapter number two. And notice if you don't mind in verse number 22, notice a phrase here. They brought him to Jerusalem. They brought him to Jerusalem. And with the Lord's help, we want to talk about these events that happened as they brought him to Jerusalem. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And thank you for these things are written for us as history that we can learn more about the events of the early life of the Lord Jesus Christ upon this earth. The things that went on to show that you are a God who always had this in mind and that you had things prepared for the coming of your Christ. Help us to remember and realize who he is and what Jesus was meant to do. Thank you again for this day that you've given to us. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Fill me with your spirit. You do a work that only you can do. In your name we pray. Amen. An exciting event. 
If you don't mind, the first thing I'd like to bring to your attention here is the presentation of Jesus. The presentation of Jesus. In verse number 21, it says, And when the eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived of the womb. Now, according to the law, that an, when a child, a male child, was eight days old, they would go ahead and circumcise the child. Remember, circumcision is a picture of belonging to God, being one of God's people as a sign of God's promises to those people. And it was performed at eight days old. Now, being a, a former medic, it's an amazing thing here that God knew what he was doing, even saying eight days. At eight days old, an infant begins to reproduce his own antibodies. However, he also has mother's antibodies also floating around in his system. So he has two sets of antibodies to help protect him from affection. And so this surgery is performed at eight days old at the perfect time. It's almost like God knew what he was doing after all and knew everything about antibodies and whatnot. Now at the time of eight days old, it was also a custom to name that child. We saw that with John the Baptist in the chapter previous when he was born and eight days old, they named him John and they were confused. He, John's not a family name, but Zacharias wrote down his name is John and now he can speak and he was praising God and people are going, wow, what just happened here? Now at eight days old, they go ahead and perform uh, this circumcision under the ritual and, and the, uh, the commandments of the law, separating Jesus, identifying him as one of the Hebrew people. Then afterwards, Mary and Joseph would obey the Old Testament law of giving a sacrifice for the birth of Christ, saying, thank you, Lord, for giving us this child. Thank you for letting us have. This would be accomplished at 31 days. So they would have the circumcision. They would have another sacrifice at 31 days. And then in verse number 22, we have another one. And when the days of her, Mary's purification, according to the law of Moses was accomplished. Now five times here in the gospel record of Mark, uh, Luke chapter number two, it gives this phrase, um, under the law, refers to the law, according to the law. Now this is trying to put the emphasis here that Jesus Christ was obedient to the law even at the time of his birth because of his parents. They helped perform the things. This is just tracing the idea that Jesus Christ had always been perfect and that he had followed it, that even his parents had followed through. This would be a help later on when the Pharisees and the other people who were thinking they were super religious, they couldn't say anything against Jesus's background because he had done things according to the way the Bible had said, even from the time of his birth because of his parents. Well, in verse number 22, in the days of a purification, now according to the law, that a wife, a, a lady, after she gave birth, it would be about 41 days before she could be ceremonially clean. After all, giving birth is a messy business. And because of the blood going out, now remember, they don't know anything about germs and viruses. They just know that 
It's a messy business. However, God knew. And so after that time, they was, she would have to show herself to the priest to show herself to be ceremonial clean and that she could go ahead and be a part of society again, that she's healthy, that she doesn't have any infections, that everything is going well. And so we see that in the days of her purification at 41 days, according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him, Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Now here we have this other thing. They're going to the temple and they're saying, God, you've given us this child. You're the one who, um, who gave us this child. We're thankful for him. And now we want to offer him to you that you would use him as you see fit. Notice again in verse number 23. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Now, in the Old Testament law, at the very beginning part of it, that God had set aside that every firstborn male was to be dedicated to God in service to Him. Later on, that switched to a whole tribe of Israel, of Levi, that was going to be separated to the Lord. But they're going back to the very instant. Here's our firstborn son. We're dedicating them to the Lord. Now, today we even have baby dedication ceremonies, but may I explain what really is going on? When you're dedicating a baby to the Lord, you are actually dedicating yourself. God, I am recognizing that you want to use this child. Help me to be the instrument used to raise this child to serve you. And so as they're dedicating Jesus and presenting him at the temple, they're also understanding there's a high calling here. I am raising someone else's child. I am a steward of the child. And if we understand this principle, none of our children belong to us. God gave them to us and we are to raise them to serve God. And one day we're going to stand before God and give an account of how well we raised his children. We're stewards. This is a big deal. And so as they're coming to the temple. Now Mary and Joseph have no desire to be in the crowd. In fact many of you are that way. That if the spotlight was shown to you. You would just hide from the spotlight. Please don't put it on me. I don't want the attention. Just quiet in and out. This is how Mary and Joseph were. They, they were coming to the temple. Hoping just to get in and to get out. Nobody would notice. Nobody would see them. Nobody would make a big deal. Verse 24. To offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, once again, they're going through the ceremonies. They're dedicating Jesus to the Lord. Mary has been ceremonial clean. They've done the, the circumcision. They're doing everything. So they're coming to Jerusalem. They're going to offer this sacrifice to God, thanking him and dedicating themselves to the Lord to raise this child for him. But God does not want Jesus to go unnoticed. So we have someone that's prepared. The second thing I'd like to show you is the proclamation of Simon. The proclamation of Simon or Simeon. The proclamation of Simeon. Verse number 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The same man was just and devout. Now this is phrase describing who he is and his character. When you see the word just, especially in the New Testament, it is a legal term that carries the idea of justified. Just as if they had never been sinners. In God's eyes, they were their slate was wiped clean. This was someone who had followed the Lord, believed in God's promises with the information that he had. He was just 
and devout. He was devout to God. He wanted what God wanted to bring across. God, I want to serve you. I'm following after you. I want to be with you. He was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Ghost was upon him. What does this mean? This is someone who had believed in God's promises and was dedicated to God and was looking for God's promise of, his, of the Messiah to come. That's what we should be doing, by the way. We should be looking forward to Jesus coming. We should be looking forward to it and anticipating it. God, I want to see you come. God, I'm looking forward to you being here. We should live our lives like Jesus Christ is coming back because he is coming back. And here is a man who has lived his life that way. He is looking for it. God, you promised your Messiah. You promised him to come. I want to see him. I'm looking forward to him. Oh, Lord, please come. Lord, please come. Verse number 26. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost. Now, notice how many times the Holy Spirit's mentioning here. God is working with this man. He's preparing this man. He is leading this man. He's drawing this man for a purpose. Notice. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he should see the Lord's Christ. Now this is a big deal. Can you imagine that as you're spending time with God that the Holy Spirit comes and tells you, Hey, you won't die until you see Jesus, until you see the Messiah. That's got to be exciting. But I'm sure there's plenty of people who thought he was crazy. I'm pretty sure that he thought, you know, did I eat pepperoni pizza? Is this something that's real? Is this in my mind? But God said, nope, you're not going to die until you see him. So you can imagine as he's getting older in life. Lord, is he coming now? I'm getting older. Is he going to come? You promised I wouldn't die. Is he going to come? And so he's with anticipation. He's looking for it. I'm going to see him. I'm going to see him. I'm going to see him. All of his life, he'd been looking for this. God said, you're not going to die until you see him. Is he coming? Is today the day? When am I going to see him? When am I going to see him? You know how different our lives would be if we lived our lives like that? Lord, I can't wait to see you. Lord, I want to be there with you. Lord, I can't wait. Lord, please, it's today the day I get to see you. Think our lives would be different if our motives and our mind was on that. I want to see Jesus. I want to see Jesus. I want to see Jesus. So you could see it's building up. He's looking forward to it. Finally, verse number 27. And he came by the Spirit to the temple. So whatever he was doing that day as he's living in Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit said, you know what? You need to go to the temple today. Okay. And so as he's led by the Spirit, the Spirit prompts him to come to the temple. And he came by the Spirit to the temple. And when the parents brought the child to do for him after the custom of the law, then he, Simeon, he took he, Jesus, him, in his arms. There's a lot of pronouns here. Then took he, Simeon, him, Jesus, up in his, Simeon's arm, and blessed God and said. Now, let me pause here. If you're someone who's been promised by God that you are going to see the Messiah before you come. And you've been prompted by God to... Uh, go to the temple and you've been living all your life. I can't wait to see him. I can't wait to see him. And then when you see him, you're going to go, oh, this is great. This is wonderful. <laughs> all of his life, he has been waiting for this moment. Now, can you imagine Mary and Joseph 
trying to be quiet. No one notices. No one notices. And they're trying to get to, trying just to do what they can. And this old guy comes and takes Jesus and holds him up in front of everyone. Now, the temple is a big place. When Solomon had built the place, it was meant to be a shining radiance. That he had built the temple in such a way and overlaid it with gold. That it was made so that way when the people would walk to Jerusalem, the gold would glint off of it. And people would see in their minds it would be a reflection of the glory of God shining upon it. Now Solomon's temple had been destroyed in 586 BC. But after that, Zerubbabel tried to rebuild the temple. And then Herod, in order to get favor with the Jewish people, remodeled the temple. And the temple is still being remodeled, but it is a massive place. It is a huge place. People from all over the world are coming to visit it. And so it's not like it's a quiet place where we're off hours. This is a busy place. And people there who are regulars know Simeon. He's devout. He follows God. And he comes and takes this child And holds him up. And the crowd begins to notice. Now notice as he starts exclaiming. He took him up in his arms. And blessed God. And said Lord. Now let us thy servant. Depart in peace. According to thy word. He's excited. He's holding the baby up. He's starting to shout. He's excited about seeing God. For mine eyes have seen. Thy salvation. Which thou has prepared before the face of the earth to a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people from Israel. Now he's starting to quote scripture, the crazy guy. It's part of being devout. He has scripture memorized. And he's excited. Lord, I've seen him. This is my savior. This is the one who's going to shine like a light to all the Gentiles. All the world's going to be saved because of him. Wonderful. This is great. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Mary and Joseph are trying to shriek back. I want my child back. But they're not going to stop the guy. Crowd is starting to form. Oh, what's this about? So everyone's starting to come and gather around and see what the big deal is. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which are spoken of him. What in the world? This guy snatched my baby up and is saying, this is him. This is him. I'm going to die now because I've seen my Savior. And they're going, well, this is different. Trying to sneak in, trying to sneak out. And this guy's intercepted us. Big baby, the crowd's starting to form and trying to look. Who's the parents? Who's he belong to? Wow. You think they probably remembered this incident? Probably. And so as the crowd is forming, they're all trying to see what this big deal's about. What is this child? What is this guy screaming about, hollering about, that he's seen the salvation, holding this child up, lifting him up and making a big deal? What in the world is this? Verse 34. And Simeon blessed them, Mary and Joseph, and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel and for a sign which shall be spoken against. He looks up, he's quoting scripture again and he's looking at Mary and said, this child, this child is going to be used of God. He was sent for a reason. Now the crowd is gathered around. He gives the child back to Mary and he's saying, this child 
is a blessing. It's an answer to prayer. It's an answer to scripture. This is, and people are listening to this. They're all hearing. What child? You can almost see them trying to look over, trying to look at the baby, trying to see what's different about him. I mean, does he have any marks? Is there something about him? Does he radiate? Does he glow? What's, what's wrong? What's different with this child? They're all trying to look and trying to, curious, looking in. Simeon begins to tell Mary, this child here is for the rise and fall of many. Verse 35, yea, a sword shall pierce through my own heart, through my own soul also. He says, this affects me that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. He's saying, man, if I think about this, this little child knows what I'm thinking. This little child. Now that puts a different spin on it. Jesus knew what his mother was always thinking. He knew what Joseph was thinking. He knew what his brothers and sisters were thinking. He knew what his teachers were thinking. This little child knows everything because he's God. Wow. He says, he knows what I'm thinking too. My good thoughts and my bad thoughts. He knows everything. This is the child. He's coming to save us. Oh, this is the one I've been waiting for. Now, Mary and Joseph would have been content to take the baby and say, thank you very much and let's get out of here. But now as the crowd is formed, it's grabbed the attention of someone else. We see the <laughs> start off with the idea of the presentation of Jesus. We see the proclamation of Simeon. Now we see the prayers of Anna. Notice if you don't mind in verse 36. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, a daughter of Phanel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. What that's speaking about is that she got married and seven years later her husband died. And she was a widow of about four score and four years. Remember, a score is 20, so four times 20 is 80 plus four. Here is an old lady of great age, 84 years old. She had been married seven years, her husband died, and since that time, she's been a widow. What has she been doing with her life? And she was a widow about four score and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. What did she have given herself to do? She said, listen, I'm going to dedicate myself to God and I'm going to learn how to be a prayer warrior. I'm going to learn how to get a hold of God. And so for the rest of her life, she dedicated herself saying, I'm going to be, my job is to be a full-time prayer warrior. I'm going to pray. Now you understand this is worth its weight in gold because we can't do anything of ourselves. Only God can do his own work. And prayer is the gas that runs the machine. And the more prayers that we have, the more we can expect God to work. I would do whatever I could to have a full-time prayer warrior. Someone who learned how to get a hold of God. Someone to dedicate themselves to God and say, Lord, I'm going to get a hold of you. I'm going to be someone known to get a hold of you. You know, as we go through history, there's been many people who have um, got a hold of God. If you've never seen the, the movie Sheffy, I encourage you. We need, probably need to show it again. But it shows a historical record of a man by the name of Sheffy. It was his last name. And he was someone who was known to sit on the side of the road in the uh, old, 
buggy days, horse and wagon days, and just pray for hours. One time when he was applying for a license to preach, they said, you know, you're awful peculiar. We're kind of strange. You know, we, you've been observed talking to God or, you know, out there talking for hours. We don't know if we want a preacher who, who does that. And in the midst of that, he says, well, who do you talk to when you pray? He says, I talk to God and I just have a good time with it. He was someone known to have his prayers answered. More than his preaching, and he was a preacher, people relied upon his prayers. You know what a ministry would change if someone became a prayer warrior and said, I'm just going to pray. You know, to have someone to say, listen, I'm going to dedicate myself to pray for you. If you could forgive the personal reference. Back when I was an assistant of the pastor in Phoenix, Arizona, um, the Lord had allowed me to have the time and the freedom to become a soul winner and was just knocking doors all the time, seeing thousands of people come to know Christ as their savior. And, you know, sometimes you start to get to the big head and start thinking, well, look at how great I am and look at what God has done for me. My wife and I were knocking on doors. We'd already seen three people come to know Christ as our savior. We come to knock on another door. And usually I had introduce myself. Yes, I'm from Western Hills Baptist Church, church at the time. And my name is Scotty Bockhaus. And we're just going around just asking how we can be a blessing, see if there's anything we can pray for you on. Well, that time I happened not to give my name. Don't know why. But as I knocked on the door, I said, yeah, we're from Western Hills Baptist Church and gave him a track. She goes, wait, I know that church. Is there someone at your church named Scotty Bockhaus? Yeah. Do you know him? I do. She goes, I heard that he was a good soul winner. And so I found out that they go soul winning about this time every Saturday. So I dedicated myself to pray for that entire hour or two to pray for him that he would win many people go to the Lord. Well, that's me. And we were so excited. We were rejoicing and talking at the door and we left and saw four more people come to know Christ as their savior that day. But as I go back, what really made the effort. Was it me? Or was it that lady's prayers? Charles Spurgeon uh, was known as the Prince of Preacher in London, England. He pastored the uh, London Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, England. Just a, gr just a tremendous church and great outreach. And so there were some uh, people visiting from America came to visit the church. They wanted to see more about Charles Spurgeon. They wanted to hear more about this Prince of Preacher and the power. And so they went up and they found uh, what looked like to be a custodian just in a weekday. And they were said, hey, we have some questions. Where does the power come from? What makes this church so effective? Where does the power of God come from here? And he says, let me show you. And he says, he walked him to the platform. And at that time, they had platform, they had balconies. And they had a huge platform that would stare, uh, stand over everything. And he opened the door and he said, inside here, every Sunday morning, 200 men get in this room underneath the platform. And they pray. And they pray. And they pray for the entire service. That is where the power is in the preaching. That's where the power is. And the people were amazed and the guy walked off. Another guy came up and said, wow, what was that like? What do you mean what was it like? That was Charles Spurgeon. What was that like? Here Charles Spurgeon, the pastor of the church, had showed them what the power was. It wasn't him. It was the people that were praying. 
Oh, if a ministry can get a hold of people who are dedicated to prayer. Dedicated to get a hold of God. Dedicated to talking with God. And praying the power in the pulpit. Praying for the power in the outreach. Praying for power in the miracles to happen. That prayer ministry is one of the most important elements inside of a powerful working church. That has the power of God. The working of God. The miracles of God. It doesn't come from us. It comes from God. But when some people get a hold of God. And so here is a lady who was married seven years. Her husband died. But she said, that's not the end of my life. That's the beginning of my life. I'm dedicating my life to God. And I'm giving my life to prayer. Night and day, I'm going to pray and fast. And I'm going to expect God to do some amazing things. So she had a reputation in the temple. There's someone who could get a hold of God. So as Simeon has made a big deal and drawn the crowd. This is him. This is him. I see him. It's the one I've been waiting for. This crowd is gathered by. He hands the baby back to Mary. And says Mary. This is going to be the light of the world. This is the one to save the world. All the Gentiles are going to know. It's because of him. Now as this crowd is gathered up. Here comes Anna. What's going on? Notice what happens as she sees this. Verse number 38. And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord. And spake of him to all them that looked for the redemption of Israel. So if it wasn't enough, Simeon some guy off the street. But here's Anna. Who everyone knows prays and talks to God. She comes in. She looks at Simeon. She looks at Mary. She looks at Joseph. She looks at baby Jesus. And before that crowd she says. She gives thanks. Likewise unto the Lord. And spake of him to all of them. That looked for redemption. What is redemption? It's where Jesus Christ paid our price. It means to buy back. She goes. You want to know what's going to take away the sins of your world? This little lamb is going to die for you. This little lamb was born to die. This little lamb is going to take away your sins because God promised he was going to take away your sins. This little child is what you've been waiting for all of your life. For all of you who want forgiveness, here he is. For all of you who want to be washed clean, here he is. For all of you who want that relationship with God, here he is. Now... How do you think Mary and Joseph are going? As the crowd is there, Mary's holding the baby and this old lady who has a great reputation, a great testimony is pointing, that's him! That's him! You think the crowd's now trying to look at him some more? Trying, what is with him? What's different with this child? What is this? This is a big deal that day. And so, verse 39 and when they had performed all those things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city of Nazareth. So here they try to obey the Lord. They're just trying to obey in and out. But God says, nope, this is my child. And I prepared a couple people. This is him. This is him. This is him. You may not think he's much, but that's who's going to take away your sins. You may not think he's much, but that's the one to give you forgiveness. You may not think it's much, but it's because of him you have access to heaven. And you may not think he's much, but because of him you have access to God. That's him! That's him! He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man go to the Father but by him. That's him! He had Simeon come. Had Anna come. This whole crowd is there. 
Mary and Joseph, they marveled at these things. Wow, what a day. I was just trying to get in and out. Now, that's a lot of excitement. May I ask, where's your excitement? You know, you could cheer for a Green Bay Packer game. When's the last time you got excited about church? When's the last time you got excited about him? The last time you got excited about what Jesus has done for you. You know, one of the things about being a Christian for a while is that you start to get old and crusty. You start to get used to being saved. You get to the place where it's no big deal. Church becomes mundane. Bible reading, eh, just something I do. You understand this is life. Eternal life that God has given to us. Jesus died for you. He died for your sins. You should still be excited and thrilled and happy. People said, well, you're just way too excited. This is, we should go to church. Nobody should say a thing. Let me tell you, the Icicle Baptist Church is what we shouldn't belong to. The Icicle Baptist Church is where someone comes in and says, amen, and everyone looks to see where the visitor's at. You should be excited about things in church. When we sing, it shouldn't be, oh, victory in Jesus. Man, we should be excited. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That should still get you. You should still place yourself in that song. Are you excited about the things of God? If not, your wood is wet and there's something wrong. Something bad wrong if you're not excited about the things of God. Where's your excitement? Where's your thrilling? Where's your smile? If you're happy and you know it, your face will surely show it. There are some people who go to church that look like they've been sucking on lemons and soaking in pickle juice. They're just all sour and they're miserable. There's people that come in. I want to put cameras so badly up here so that way it point to the crowd and let you see what I have to see. Oh, oh. you know, you do pretty good at not looking at watches. That's pretty good. But you know, oh, or you get the, oh. I'm waiting for the head to roll off and just get in the newspapers. The preacher just killed a preacher by their head falling off. I mean, just, are you glad to be in church? Are you glad what God has done for you? Are you excited still? Does it still thrill you to hear about Jesus Christ? It should because it's real. Jesus was real. He died for you. Forgiveness is real. There should be something to it. And by the way, if you're excited about it on Sunday, you should probably still be excited about it on Monday. Amen. You should still be saying, people say, what did you do this weekend? You're like, I don't want to talk about it. No, I went to church. I had a good time. We opened the Bible. You know why some people don't go to church? It's because no one around them is excited about it. You guys have heard me tell testimony at a different place that I pastored that I had an old grouchy um, <laughs> lady who would meet my visitors right at the beginning of the door before I could get to them. She's already got the door and she's already telling them all the things wrong with the church and all the things wrong with the pastor. And I wonder why people didn't stay. If you go complain about church and say, well, I had to go to church yesterday and oh, oh, by the way, you want to come? Why do I want to come to your church? 
If you're not glad to go, why should I go? But if you're excited about what God is doing, if you're excited about what God is doing, you're excited about answers to prayer, excited about people getting saved, it will show. People say there's something going on about there. There's something different about that place. Church should not be the place where we go to die. It should not be the place where we just have to endure till the end. It should be something we look forward to. Because we get to meet with the Lord. We get to hear about what God has done for us. We get to learn about the new life that God has given us. The things that accompany salvation. So let me ask you, where's your excitement? Are you thrilled? Oh, that thrills my heart is Jesus. Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know. Fills my every longing, keeps me singing as I go. Are you still thrilled? about this. Now, maybe I'm preaching and you're going, what in the world is this? Well, maybe I could just ask you a simple question. Are you 100% sure if you died today, are you 100% sure you would go to heaven? Let me tell you, the answer will excite you. If you know for sure that your sins are forgiven, it is a thrilling thing. Never get over getting saved. Never get over what Jesus has done for you. Dear friend, maybe you are saved. Let me ask you, are you still excited? Is it still good news to you? Well, dear friend, if not, maybe you need to fix something. Maybe there's something that's keeping you from being excited. Maybe there's some sin. Maybe there's some barrier. Maybe there's just something wrong. Get that fixed. Because Christians should be the happiest people in the world. Circumstances don't determine our joy God determines our joy. And as the book of Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. All right, do you have that joy? Do you still thrill in Jesus? Are you still excited about him? Dear friend, we should still have something to sing about. We should still have something to shout about. We should still be something excited about. We should be excited about being in church. Excited about his word excited about prayer. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.